I'm Hillary. And I'm Sandra. Coming up on this episode of the Quick and the Dirty podcast, finally, we're going to talk to a sugar baby. We want to know, how do you get the cash and what do you got to do? And what are the dudes like? Um, are they dirt bags? Are they nice guys? Why do they want a sugar baby? And uh, what's the going rate? Yeah, we talked to documentary filmmaker Hannah Dunnigan. She was an actual sugar baby. The Quick and the Dirty podcast with Hillary Welch and Sandra Blagakis. Sandra, shit is getting real. Real, <laughs> real. Uh, oh, boy. My boyfriend Chris and I have, well, we've been dipping our toes into the real estate market. Currently, we both live in separate places. You know this. Yeah. Uh, and we've been going to, like, house showings and talking <gasps> about moving in together. Okay, this is new information because I thought there was a conversation about you moving in with him, but now there's a conversation about you buying something together? Yeah, because I keep saying, you have to make room for me. Also, I can't live with one bathroom. <laughs> okay, that's totally, totally normal. Totally. <laughs> so you're you're actually considering taking the plunge and buying a house together? Well, here's the thing. I pay rent right now. My parents live not too far away. I work in a different city, so... I'm kind of between three houses, his, my parents, and my own. We need to make it two, and I need to stop paying rent. That is totally fair, but you must be scared because this is, A, a huge financial investment, and two, once you start um, getting yourself intertwined financially with someone, it can get ugly on the back end. <laughs> Don't talk Not about my say... back end like that. <laughs> Not to say, you know what I'm saying. Not to say that there's going to be trouble on the back end, but I, I've start often talked talking to... about my back end. <laughs> I, okay, M- money is a complicated issue when it comes to couples because I have always regretted one thing when it came to moving in with my boyfriend, now my husband, uh, 25 years ago, was that I we started immediately getting joint bank accounts. So we are so intertwined financially that I would need to, a, a team of 48 lawyers to get me out of the tangled mess that I'm in right now. <laughs> like not it's a tangled mess. planning on leaving. But I'm I not mean, planning on leaving. I'm not, but you're not. But I'm just saying, if I did, this is stopping me from doing it. <laughs> Because now it's now it's like, oh, do I really want to go down that road of all the new bank accounts separating what's his, what's mine? It's a nightmare. So what I'm telling you is this unsolicited advice, because that's who I am. <laughs> make sure you get separate bank accounts. Well, we'll probably keep our own separate stuff, but have one we share together. The whole point of the house is I want to make sure we go in equally on it, because if I were to move in with him. I don't want him to feel like I'm after his house. That's true, because I think there are laws that say that once you're in there for two years, you're common law, right? Yeah, but it doesn't count on it. Like, it's very complicated. Without an actual marriage, it doesn't count for your common law property. It's really weird. So I also want to protect myself. There's like a bunch of weird anxieties. But then you mix in romance and love and things get very muddy. I like, by the way, the fact that you're already well aware of what common law gets you. <laughs> <laughs> Don't think this girl hasn't done her research. <laughs> Absolutely. No, it's, it's more about protecting yourself and knowing, like, I don't ever want him to feel like he's threatened. And I don't want to feel like I don't have control or know what my rights are. Like it's And also, there are kids in the mix, so we have to protect them and their futures. And it's all very complicated. But beyond that, um, giving up your independence This is terrifying to me. I have only ever lived with one boyfriend. (laughs) It did not end well. And I walked away out like 20 grand. Are you serious? 
that I had put into a house and I found out he was a hundred grand in debt. And I was like, you know what? That's not a bad. <laughs> we'll leave it at 20. Um, wow. So it was bad financially and emotionally. Yeah, it was not pretty. So now it's really kind of uncomfortable. The idea of giving up my independence, even though I love and trust him with my whole heart. You know, here's, here's what I'm going to say, because I've been, I've never lived alone, Hillary. And I, I, I'm so envious of the fact that in my mind, you live the perfect life. You are successful in your career. You have a phenomenal side hustle as a jazz singer. Uh, you have an excellent podcast and podcast partner who loves you dearly. <laughs> you know the best. You have great right? friends around you. You have a, an amazing man in your life with two beautiful girls that are basically, they, they, you treat them as your own. You have, and, and you have your own place to go at at night so that if you're having a long day you you get that privacy that you wouldn't otherwise get if you were living with a man yeah so i don't mommy needs to drink wine. that's right Bye. And you can <laughs> you don't get to do that you don't get to do that because then then there there are added layers and pressures of living in a household with children and a and a you know common law partner yeah. whatever why the hell are you moving in with them again remind me well <laughs> well because I love him. You kind of get to I a point. Him. Well, no, you get to a point in a relationship where it has to continue to move forward in some way. Like we can continue to live this life forever. Trust me, he would be quite pleased. He's got a great all the things you said and a guarantee on the weekend. Um, but and you still have hot sex because you miss each other. Right. But I think that that'll always be the case just because of our lifestyles. Like I'll always have to be living in a different city. Okay, so that you, so even if you have the house together, you would still sort of. Uh, I'd have a couple nights a week where I'm not at the house. Wow, that sounds like the perfect relationship to me. It really does. <laughs> but then those nights I have to deal with my parents. <laughs> so that, that you. So it's is it perfect uh, or is it the worst ever? I don't. I don't um, know what it is, but you know. You say that relationships constantly have to evolve and change and you have to be working towards something. Hillary, I've been married for 20 years. It hasn't really gone anywhere. Once you get married and you start living together, children, and and then like, like, I don't know, there's nowhere it's you just get settled into your daily routine. And but I think that's where marriages fall apart. You have the kids. The kids are your kids are close to leaving the nest. Well, if I'm lucky, and now if what? I'm lucky, Hillary. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> then you're right. There would be a next chapter. Uh, we we move. We downsize. You travel. Like you've got to. Something is going to change. I suppose you're right about that, and I, I guess that you want to constantly evolve. I'm just I'm projecting my own issues onto you because I just love your life so much, and. You want your little pink house. Oh I know. God. We've talked so about it before. I just want to be able to live in a world where men aren't in it. Like, that's all. <laughs> and I get to choose They're just like guest stars. Yeah, men would, yeah. It's like Three's Company. They walk through that door. They do their thing and <laughs> they're right. out. That's right. I just want cameos from men. You come into my house, bang me, and get out. No sleepovers. <laughs> Don't leave your socks on the floor. If I'm good, leave $10 on the, on the dresser. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Well, that actually ties very nicely into our podcast today. (laughs) Speaking of cash on the dresser. (laughs) On this episode of the Quick and the Dirty podcast, we are very excited to welcome a documentary film director who you may have actually seen on CBC with a documentary called Sugar Sisters, documenting her one-time attempt as a sugar baby. 
Please welcome to the Quick and the Dirty podcast, Hannah Dunnigan. Hello. Hi. How are you? We're doing well, Hannah. Thanks so much for spending some time with us today and talking about your story, which is wow. (laughs) Yeah, it is a wow. (laughs) It didn't feel like a wow when I was doing it, you know? So how long ago, just for those people who haven't seen the, the documentary, how long ago did you film this? That was in 2016, and I pretty much spent the whole year trying to find a sugar daddy, and I did that with both of my sisters. Hannah, I've been trying to find a sugar daddy my entire life. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> now, Hannah, when you first went into this, you were documenting it because you are a documentary filmmaker, but mm-hmm. was the original intention to create a film, or was the intention to in fact, find a sugar daddy? Like, did you really need a sugar daddy? I mean, yes, I do. (laughs) Still do put a call out there. Um, I really wanted to sort of have this ideal of a sugar daddy in my life. And I sort of always romanticized it. So the idea of making a film about it is kind of what gave me the courage to go through it. But it was my sisters who really, you know, went in guns blazing and they're the ones who found it too exhausting too quickly too annoying too quickly they didn't like the men they were meeting they didn't like the relationships that were coming out of it and I was the one who sort of felt like I needed to double down on it I was like I've got this far I gotta find a sugar daddy in your mind what is the definition of a sugar baby that is a complex question and a good one uh, I think the standard definition is someone who dates somebody uh, and expects payment for it in some form, whether it's cash or whether it's rent or whether it's, you know, lavish gifts. Um, but when I did the film, I found there's such a gray area about what is a sugar baby and what's a sugar daddy. And even my mom was like, oh, it would be so nice if you fell in love and got married as if that would somehow legitimize the relationship and not make it a sugar baby relationship. So I do think that a lot of relationships that might not define themselves that way would technically fall into that category, including a lot of marriages. But ultimately, it was this sort of an acknowledgement of the transaction that happens that really made it stand out from, you know, your regular relationship. You and your sisters, you sat down and decided to do this. Uh, What were, I mean, I'm sure you had things on your list that you needed to meet, just like any other dating profile. What were your must-haves? My must-haves were someone who, I don't know, I felt like I could actually get along with, which seems pretty basic in terms of dating. Uh, And I was looking for cash. Um, I ended up getting, you know, a flight here and there and I ended up getting things but cash was my ultimate goal because I was really looking to quit my serving job at the time uh, and give filmmaking the good old college try and go all in Uh, so but in terms of a personality I was very open I just wanted to be able to get along with them and that came with time too the first people I dated I had no idea what I wanted, and I very quickly realized that if I was going to get along with them, like in a normal dating situation, I'm not going to get along with them in a sugar dating situation. I'm not a very good liar, you know? So uh, when it comes to that kind of a relationship, you have to say what you want right on the front end, it seems. Yes. And I was uh, slow to that process. I found it hard to 
set up a date with somebody and then, you know, breach the negotiation. But that was expected on their end as well. So I kind of had to learn some negotiating skills and get comfortable with this idea that I could say, this is what I want in exchange for a date. And if we date regularly, this is what I expect. What struck me about the documentary is that you'd go on a first date and you didn't know if you were going to get paid at the end of that date. So, yeah. I, mean, I mean, that's your time, right? Just like it's his time. Why didn't you say, okay, if you if we go on a date, you give me 100 bucks? <laughs> I mean, I was just very new about it and I didn't know how to ask for that. I didn't know how to value my time right away in this situation. And I was hoping that they were going to set the value for me and I would reap those benefits. But they're not going to do that. They expect you to tell them what you need, what you want, what you charge. Um, So I had a mentor. She's the one who really gave me the skills and the sort of tips that I needed in order to reach that conversation before the date. So by the end of the year, I was definitely getting paid for first dates. But wouldn't it be more like a job interview? You don't get paid for your job interview before you actually get the job. This is true, but dating is the job. It would be, at first day, it would be more like a trial shift, which you would get paid for. Which you could, which you would totally get paid for. So what did you get, what did you make on a first date? Um, I averaged about a hundred bucks for a first date. And it really depended on the person. There was another website that I really quite liked because it did a lot of the negotiating for me, where someone would bid for you, essentially. And then you could accept their bid or you could tell them, no, that's not high enough. Um, And that was the people that I met off there really preferred that process, too, because they felt like they knew what they were getting into. And there wasn't the same sort of gray area and uncomfortable conversation that you don't even start talking until you've agreed to a certain amount of money. What is in it for the people paying to go on these dates? Not only do they have to pay you to be there, they have to pay for the date. Yeah. I mean, they get to date someone without um, having to put in the time and effort and energy into a relationship. A lot of the people I dated were really busy, like really busy. Um, And they had maybe time for two to four dates a month. uh, And they didn't want to have to build a relationship with someone. They didn't want to have to have someone be disappointed that they couldn't hang out with them very often. They wanted the perks of a relationship without having to put in the work that it takes to build that. Someone else that I dated, uh, it was short-lived, just a couple of dates, but he was married for 30 years, recently divorced, and he just wanted to date. He didn't have any expectations of what that was going to look like, and he had never dated before. Um, and so he was essentially doing it as a practice run for his uh, next relationship, and he wasn't expecting that these dates would become that relationship, but he was hoping that they would have fun, and so it felt like training. That one definitely felt a little bit more like a job. We talked a lot about, you know, what a date looks like, what a date, what a good conversation feels like, really kind of basic fundamental things, but we went through the one-on-ones of dating together. So like he was like a dater in training. And then some other people I dated just were selfish and they didn't want to talk about anything except for themselves, you know. And if I was not being paid, I wouldn't have put up with it. 
but they got the date they wanted and they don't care that it's bought. And what about uh, wives? Are these married men? Or are these just single busy men? I only ever dated single men. Um, and that was something I prefaced in my profile that I was not looking to date married men. My mentor will date married men um, if it's the right man. And there's a certain element of fun that she provides. She really feels like, you know, the young, hot mistress. And she plays that role very well. And she dresses for that. She, you know, loves accepting gifts like jewelry and lingerie, something that fits into this sort of narrative around what a mistress is. Um, But you get a mix. You really do. And I think a lot of the people who go on these dating apps that are looking for a sugar baby, they're people that don't have the time or the energy or the desire to really build a real relationship, but they want the optics or the sort of fun that comes along with dating. Uh, And paying for that really, you know, it helps get them what they want. It sounds like every millennial guy that I know who basically wants to have the relationship without putting in the work. (laughs) Because yeah. we've actually talked to millennials on our, you know, sex and relationships podcast who say that, that they just want the girlfriend without having to actually do much. Which is, you, <laughs> you know, know, totally fair if you're going to pay, right? <laughs> well, you know, you talk about your girlfriend or your mentor who was providing this built-in experience for, as a mistress for these married men. But what did you promise to provide? At first, I tried to have this, like, character, this narrative of who I was. And I found it really hard to authentically be that character. So I decided that I was just going to be myself and I was going to offer a very honest version of myself. And in, you know, every dating situation, my youth was definitely valued. Uh, I was 28 at the time, which I think was even considered old for a sugar baby. Uh, But, you know, being young, taking them to places where they felt like it was a younger crowd and that they stood out as some older, hot man, uh, and providing that, it was a bit of the girlfriend experience. You know, you go on this date, you hold their hands, you laugh at their jokes, you listen to their problems. You talk about their problems. <laughs> it's a bit a bit therapist, uh, and then you know you make them feel like they really provided for you. That strokes their ego a lot. If they're paying for you and paying for your time. What sort of rights are you able to maintain as the sugar baby? Because, like, you're getting paid for your time. You don't have to be having a great time. You're faking it. Where do you draw your line? It's a weird fine line between work and dating. Um, I do see it as a form of sex work, but it's not sort of clear-cut sex work where there are expectations for the money and if someone violates that, it is very clear when they violated that. In sugar dating, it was a lot about trying to build somewhat of a relationship as much as you possibly could. And 
So there was this constant negotiation of boundaries, constantly trying to figure out how far this relationship can go, even if it's just one date, uh, in terms of expectations, in terms of what you're doing. But I mean, it's it's a one-on-one conversation. There's no agency defending you. There's no laws defending you. There are no organizations that set out certain rules and guidelines. And so in that way, I found it very similar to dating. That every person was a totally unique relationship, and you had to figure out what made sense for that particular relationship. And any relationship that I felt like my boundaries were pushed too hard or their expectations were totally different from what I was willing to give, it's just not going to work. Well, you see, this is the thing. When I saw the documentary, I felt like you, towards the end of it, you were dating a nice man from New York. Uh, you guys had a nice relationship and you were very, you were friends more than anything it looked like. Um, mm-hmm. But at the end of it, you seemed to have a crisis of conscience because you felt that at, down the road there'd be an expectation of sex and that was your line. Yeah, I mean, that was definitely a big part of it for me going into it, you know, I had a relationship with someone at the time and I wanted to sort of explore this this sugar baby, sugar daddy relationship that is money and time and date and that doesn't include sex unless you feel like, you know, you're really ready to be in a relationship with him. And I just, I felt like with him, especially because he was in New York and this constant back and forth that every time I saw him, the expectation was so much greater. And I was really caught up in what he was putting into it in terms of money and time. And then I was, you know, very easily thinking about, okay, well, I can give this back. I got caught in my own moral web, essentially. And I found it very overwhelming. Um, So that was sort of when I knew I don't think I have the armor that is needed for a a sugar baby, sugar daddy relationship, Uh, especially if it's not something that comes organically. Because I do know a lot of people who are in these very loving and kind of organically formed relationships that do look and smell like a sugar dating relationship. So you didn't think that sex would come into play at all when you started this? No, I definitely knew that that would be an expectation. Um, When I first started looking, I was like looking just for the guys who don't want sex, just to make the cash and not actually have to, you know, give any part of myself. Sandy, my mentor, she wakes up in the middle of the night and she talks to guys online on specific sites. And they pay her just to chat online, you know, and it was stories like that that really had me starry eyed <laughs> about the whole thing. I thought I could do that. Um, so I I knew that sex would be a thing, um, but I had met and talked to so many people who were in these long term committed relationships and had never done so much as cuddled them and that that it was really not a part of it. That. So dating, the optics, the experience of being on a date with someone was the value. Uh, so no, <laughs> I wasn't totally surprised when when sex came up, but I was surprised at how hard I struggled between whether or not it was worth it financially, and that's what was sort of a trip 
for me personally. I bless the souls of those men who didn't want sex. What the hell are they sugar daddies for? I hear that and I'm just like, are they just sad men who wanted companions? I think companionship is a big part of it. I mean, there's something sweet about that, but sad that you have to pay for it. I, I do think it would be very hard if you wanted companionship and you didn't want sex, you know, whether you're asexual or uncomfortable or just really lacking in the companionship department. Uh, I think it'd be hard to date in a normal scenario because the other party is going to want sex most likely. Yeah. Well, that's true. How do you put that on a dating profile? We, we can go out, we can travel, yeah. but I'm not going to bang you. Part of me wonders <laughs> if a lot of it is about what it looks like to the outside public. These are people that don't want to do the investment. They don't or can't get emotionally attached, but they want the people in their lives and the people that they work with to think that they're just like everybody else and to think that they're cool. Like there's something really sad and really insecure about that in my mind. Yeah, my sister went on with guy and she showed up and it felt like it was way too fancy. She was dressed for something much more fun. Like she was dressed to go out dancing, essentially. And she sat down and had this dinner with him and he was pretty awkward through the whole thing. She didn't totally understand the vibe until a bunch of his coworkers came over and said hi and happened to be eating dinner at the same restaurant. And, you know, they stood up and shook hands and had this conversation. And then he sat down and felt very proud of himself. And she realized that she was a a piece in that interaction, that he knew that those other people were going to be having dinner there and he wanted to talk to them and he wanted to, you know, make sure that they knew he was on a date and that he could sort of present a certain version of himself that he wants them to see. That's worth Hamish, I think. Well, obviously it worked out for him. Uh, Hannah, tell me about your mother because you uh, you referred to your mother earlier and how uh, her three daughters basically told her that they were going to attempt to navigate the world of being sugar babies. How did she respond to that? I mean, Mom! She was definitely not happy. <laughs> Uh, she was especially not happy that we were making a, a film about it. Well, because then it's out there. Everyone's <laughs> going to know her daughters are sugar babies. <laughs> that's, that's right. There's two. <laughs> right. Yes. But in the end, she was pretty proud. We had lots of really great conversations. Uh, Christmas dinner was really eventful that year. <laughs> um, but she, she knows we're sort of headstrong women, and she she really liked how we handled the whole situation, how it opened up discussions about relationships and sex and transactions. And, you know, she was very resistant, but I think eventually she felt like she couldn't fight it. So she got on board. Did you ever feel guilty about taking these, the money from these men and then only giving them uh, little pieces of potentially what they were looking for? Or were you like, these are weird men and that's all they deserve? I mean, I never felt like these are weird men and that's what they deserve. But I did feel like they knew what they were paying for and they knew how much certain things cost. And that was something that I was pretty naive to at the beginning. I didn't I didn't know how to value $100 in this situation, for example. Um, but after a while, I realized, you know, just how much they're getting out of it and how much they're willing to pay for certain things. And I definitely didn't feel 
guilty because I never felt like I was taking advantage of them. I felt like they were getting exactly what they wanted. Um, and they, they knew what they were paying for. And I think that's a common question too. And people see the sort of sugar baby as a gold digger, as someone who's taking advantage of someone. But the reality is, is that it's a two way street and they know what they're paying for and they know what they're getting. And communication is a big part of that, no matter how easy or hard it is with some of the people. Uh, but I didn't I didn't really feel guilty, no. Well, you're two grown-ass adults, and you have agreed on a transaction and what will transpire during that transaction. My question to you is equality. You are not equal in this relationship because one person has more control than the other, and I say that because they're the person who's paying for the date. Um, how did that make you feel? I struggled a lot with the sort of equal weighting of the scenario and who has the power, but it was an interesting experience to sort of push this power ball back and forth between us. Yes, they're paying and yes, they hold the credit card. You also hold a lot of power too, you know, and what you do and don't give them, you know, how good you do or don't make them feel. There was uh, the power felt fragile. Uh, And sometimes I felt like I held too much power and that was a little bit too much responsibility for me. I was okay with them having the power um, because I felt like I could navigate that situation. But what I didn't expect was to feel so much power on my own side. And I think that's what makes these relationships pretty exciting for people. Um, they, they love the exchange of power and they love the sort of dynamic of that and they love playing with that. I have to get back to the pay scale, Hannah. I have some serious questions because you said they know what they're getting and how much they're going to pay for it. And they know what things cost. So how do you break it down? Like uh, your first date's worth a hundred bucks. Is that your standard date cost? Is there more if you hold hands, kiss, sex? Like, is it all broken down? There's no cheat sheet for it, but there are a lot of unwritten rules and the sort of $100 date is pretty standard way to start. And the relationships that usually lead to a sexual relationship, especially if it's a long-term relationship, the things that are involved usually include rent and expenses. So most people that I had met who had someone that they were with for more than a year were making roughly 70 grand off of that relationship. But not in cash necessarily, just they would pay for their stuff for them? And then they would pay allowances, and then they would pay for vacations and gifts. So each service doesn't necessarily have a cost at that point. It's just like an overall, like, you pay my rent now and I sleep with you? I don't think it's that black and white. It would be more like, I can see this relationship going somewhere. Let's negotiate a package to guarantee that it'll go right somewhere. so i'll pay your rent i'll make sure your tuition costs are covered off if you have any bills there uh we'll go on vacation once a year yes. or whatever yeah and do women who are making that much in those long-term relationships are those their only relationship then like they're uh it's like a signed contract you are my it it really depends on the relationship. Some, a lot of sugar daddies that I met were very happy to know that I had a, a relationship on the side that wasn't a sugar dating relationship because they felt like then that expectation wasn't on them, that there was someone who was going to fill my, fulfill my emotional needs 
and they could just get what they want without ever having to essentially be asked for anything from me. Whereas other people do want someone all to themselves, but that's just the difference between people. So you've met a few sugar babies along the way. Um, When these relationships evolve and they go on for years and years and years, do they do they still see them as sugar daddies and sugar babies, or are they in real relationships? The even though money is changing hands, of the whole thing. In a nutshell, uh, some people do see them as you know very transactional relationships, and when there's no more money available, then they break up. So that that's a clear cut line for them. You know, other people feel like they're this is their boyfriend or their girlfriend now, or this is their husband or their wife. But there is still a very clear expectation. And I think the sort of deciding factor around it is that if the money runs out, will you stay with this person still? And for a lot of people I met who are in long-term relationships, they were very clear with, no, this is, this is something that is paid for. Right. And then, like, do people actually ever get truly emotionally attached? Of course. It would be so hard not to. Um, you know, you're dating someone, essentially. Right. And I like to have a long-term relationship with someone. I didn't meet a single person in a long-term relationship with someone that they felt was frustrating or that they didn't get along with. But there's a so difference between getting along and being in love. Yeah, but... It's a slippery slope too, right? If you're spending so much time with someone and they're being so supportive of you and you, you know, or you're from the sugar daddy's perspective, you're spending so much time with someone who is really doting over you and behaving like you're in love, love happens for sure. Okay, I want to ask one more question about your on-the-side relationship. You were in a relationship when you started this whole journey. Yes. How did they feel about the whole experience? Um, Jocelyn was really supportive of it. She didn't totally understand why I wanted to do this because she wouldn't do it herself. (laughs) And I got that sort of same question from a lot of my friends. So your relationship on the side was a same-sex relationship, but you were seeing men as sugar daddies? I did try to find a sugar mama, but that was a lot harder as a mission. <laughs> I bet. There were many more sugar daddies to choose from. Yeah, I know a, a woman who's actually kind of a sugar mama and made a proposition to a friend of mine to be a sugar mama. And it's a funny thing with men. Um, pride kind of got in the way of that one. <laughs> oh, like to a man, but like to find a, yeah. a l- lesbian sugar mama would be complicated. Do you think women don't have that ego issue? I personally felt like it wasn't so much about an ego issue as it was about the fact that, you know, a lesbian woman in her 50s plus who's super wealthy is way too in demand to even have to go out and look on a sugar dating (laughs) website, you know? (laughs) Good point. Yeah. She's doing just fine is what you're saying. <laughs> That's hilarious. So, Hannah, you've you've had a few years now to think about that experience. Obviously, you documented it uh, with your documentary. What did you learn about yourself throughout that journey? I learned that I'm uh, my own personal boundaries aren't as clear cut as I had always thought. Um, I've learned a lot about my own relationship to the various relationships in my life and how I value them. 
And I think before I got into it, I thought money was really important to me. And after the whole process, I, I could really see how money was not as big of a motivator for me as I thought it was. Uh, money is a perk at best, but it could only get me to do so much. And I really thought I was like, for the right price, I'll do anything, you know? Are you attracted to men? Yeah, totally. It wasn't, um, I was looking for someone that I was going to feel attracted to ultimately. Like I, I don't think I could have maintained a relationship with someone where I was just acting essentially. Right. And what yeah. were the average age of the people that you dated? Uh, probably about 55. And you were 28? 28. The, the oldest per- person I dated was in his late 60s. And then the youngest person is, was like maybe 45. Interesting. That's interesting because, you know, men of that age, they obviously know what they want. Yeah. And obviously to, to want a sugar baby in the first place. Were you intimidated by them? Never. I never. I mean, my first date, I was intimidated by the whole date itself. But once I sat down and started talking to him, I felt I did feel how much power I held in this situation. They, you know, have money. They have great jobs. They have property. They have cars. They have vacation properties. But they don't have me, you know, so you get to be the thing that they're willing to work for and the thing they're willing to pay for. And I never felt intimidated by them. Now, at the time you were uh, a documentary filmmaker, you still are. Were you hoping that someone would fall for you and uh, fund your career and fund your your projects? Yes. (laughs) Hoping to meet someone to pay for the whole movie and beyond. It didn't quite work out that way for me. Is your friend, by the way, your mentor, still a sugar baby? Yes, she is, yeah. And she's very successful at it. It's the only thing she does. She doesn't have another job. That's incredible. What about personal safety? Because you alluded to the fact before that there are no rules, there's no regulations, there's no laws. Did you ever feel like your personal safety could be at risk? Because you really don't know who you're dating. Personal safety is a huge concern and was at the time. And thankfully, my sisters or I never ended up in a situation where we felt unsafe. But there was a a hit list online of men who were on these sites who were violent, who were emotionally abusive, who were assholes. Just anyone who had a really terrible experience with someone ended up on the hit list with a description of why they were on the hit list. And so that was very helpful. I knew who to avoid in Toronto. And they did, they came up on those websites, their profiles came up, and I just never engaged. So between you and your sisters, uh, who would you say had the worst experience? Um, I think my sister Caroline had the worst experience. She was in Montreal, and it was a brutal winter, and she sort of felt the most in need. But she just sort of had dud after dud after dud after dud. Um, What's a dud? Like a loser? Just a, it was not, it was not a good date. Um, and she had a really hard time. They would, the people she met would agree to meet her for a certain amount, but then they wouldn't pay it to her. And they sort of constantly tried to use the money to get her to do more and more and more. And she thought it was a waste of her time, you know? 
people trying to sort of wave their money over her and make her dance like a monkey, and she was not into that. Yeah, they sound like con artists almost, like they were hustling her. I can't even imagine doing that in Montreal because I have gone to Montreal a few times, and if you make eye contact in a dance club, you're basically expected to have sex right there. <laughs> like, it's, the expectation is insane. That's true. <laughs> What an experience. Well, thank you so much, Hannah, for joining us today on the Quick and the Dirty podcast. It's been uh, eye-opening. Thank you so much for having me. This episode is over, but the conversation doesn't have to be. Follow Hillary and Sandra on social. Instagram at Hillary on Air at Sandra Kiss 105.3. Twitter at Hillary Welch at Sandra Kiss 105.3. And on Facebook at Quick and Dirty Podcast. Got a question? Email Hillary and Sandra, the quick and the dirty at gmail.com. Don't forget, you can download the podcast each week to your mobile device to listen offline. Find the quick and the dirty on FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com, iTunes, or wherever you download your podcasts.